This is episode 141 with Sanjay Rawal. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on Your Impactful Journey. Guys, if you're interested in enhancing your life's performance, then I believe you'll be intrigued by this episode. When you learn from great leaders in the world and inspiring mentors, regardless of what field they're in, one thing in common is that they take elements of many different philosophies and they weave them into their own beliefs and their own practices, which is what contributes to their success and their own great philosophies that they end up developing. And that's the common theme running throughout this episode, even though we don't speak about it. So my aim for this episode, like all others, was to draw insights from Sanjay that are relatable to all of us wanting to be the best version of ourselves and improve our life's performance. Sanjay Rawal is an Indian-American award-winning documentary film director who lives in New York City. He's a deeply connected, spiritual and philosophical being and extremely passionate about his work. His most recent film, called 3100 Run and Become, highlights the transcendence capabilities through running and it dives into ancient indigenous philosophies of flow state and performance. You might have heard of Sanjay's name if you listen to other podcasts. He's booming at the moment. He's getting around the podcast circuit for all great reasons to promote this amazing film. You will have heard him on all of the top podcasts and he's an absolute genuine legend. In this episode, we talk about Sanjay's mentor who at 73 years old blew weightlifting beliefs out the window through his superhuman feats. We discuss why age is in the mind and not in the heart. How outer power can come from inner peace. How to eradicate fear and silence. Indigenous philosophies and how we can all learn an abundance of value from them. We talk about how and why humans are participating in a running event of 3,100 miles, which is 4,989 kilometers in one go. We dive into the film that Sanjay has directed called 3100 Run and Become and we discuss what the learnings are for everyone on the planet regardless of whether you love or hate running and some of those key themes are around flow state, performance in all elements of your life and you achieving what's even beyond comprehension. Sanjay gives us some challenges to implement into our own running to help us go beyond our current beliefs of what's achievable and explains the philosophy of running for transformation. At the release of this episode, it's March 2020, and this is the month that Sanjay's film is launching in Australia with screenings all around the country. So if you're interested to check that out, jump onto 3100film.com and check out where the screenings are near you. 
They're also doing their global launch tour all over the world. So wherever you are, check it out and then check it out on the website how you can watch the film online. Now, are you keen to enhance your life's performance and work with me one-on-one making positive change and impact in your life? My performance coaching sessions are tailored to you and will allow you to accelerate your results. I work with elite athletes, managers and CEOs, stay-at-home parents, entrepreneurs and all humans who are driven and committed to be their best selves. So life performance coaching with me can include breathwork for health and performance, flow and focus skill development, mindset and mental resiliency work, just diving into where you're at in life and what you need, optimal health and productivity, career development coaching, physical coaching and programming, emotional intelligence, sleep coaching, self-leadership, mental health enhancement training, goal setting and vision planning, and many more powerful processes. Obviously, technology these days allows us to produce results with each other from anywhere in the world. I've got clients spread all over and we utilize programs like Zoom so we can have powerful sessions from a place of your convenience. My structure is four sessions over an eight-week period with access to me via messages, calls or emails between each session, which ensures greater results and accountability for you. So if you're committed to bettering yourself, then reach out at brett at lifeintentional.com.au or check out more details at yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash coaching. Okay, now let's hear from the legend himself, Sanjay Rawal. Sanjay, I want to hear about your mentor, Sri Chinmoy. He's achieved some superhuman feats and I really want to hear about his, how his performance improved as he aged and not deteriorated, which is often what people think as we age that we, that we can't improve our performance uh, and, and our, our life skills. So for example, his abundance of strength and massive weightlifting achievements. And I've heard him say something like outer power can come from inner peace. So I'd love to hear you talk about Talk about him and unpack that, please. Oh, good. great way to start. You know, he had a, 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 an idiom, age is in the mind and not in the heart. And, and that sounds kind of like a greeting card aphorism. But when he was 55 years old, probably, you know, weighed about 70 kilos, not a tall man, not a small man, he took up weightlifting. And the, the first dumbbell he lifted was 40 pounds. But over the successive months, it grew up into the thousands. And I actually made a film called Challenging Impossibility, which is on Vimeo, that looked at one night in 2003 when he was 73 years old. And he did a workout in a gym, uh, or actually on, 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 a, on a stage um, with his gym on the stage in front of bodybuilding legends. Olympians like Carl Lewis, uh, folks like that, strength champions, boxers, and he lifted over 80,000 kilograms total in a four-hour workout. Those are like 400 to 500 kilogram standing calf lifts, just some outlandish, outlandish stuff. And it's all documented on video, and it's like no special effects or anything. And I saw it with my own eyes as a 29-year-old. And 
I still am grappling with what that means. But that said, like I, I, I used to run a lot, but you know, I'm 45 now and I kind of slacked off the last 10 years. But this year I, 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 I began to, to, to tell myself like, maybe there is some truth that's not just applicable to a spiritual giant, but that's applicable to me. And about nine months ago, I started getting back into marathon running. And, you know, I, I ran one of my best times at the age of 45, uh, two hours and 37 minutes um, a month ago in California. And I actually feel like I'm just scratching the surface. But, you know, that, that idea of ages in the mind, you know, made me feel like there's nothing to be afraid of, that there is a tremendous amount of potential within us and we can tap into it if we know how to. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I'm thinking with that saying, like you said, age is in the mind and not in the heart and how he says outer power can come from inner peace. From, from your learnings from this legend, how do you believe that we can relate this to something like emotional intelligence that is spoken about and really empowering in, in our communities these days? And, and I guess when I think about the, the outer power can come from inner peace perspective, I'm specifically thinking about people who live and operate from fear and, or even anger or frustration, but specifically fear because I believe the more that we understand how our emotional states and energetic conditions are either helping us or hindering us and how our actions align with this, so they're either empowering or disempowering actions, when we understand more about this, I believe that we can be more aligned, content, and take that more fulfilled approach into our daily lives. So from all your learnings and your experiences with it, how do you believe we can relate this to, to the emotional intelligence aspects? So I, I made a film called 3100 Run and Become, which looks at the world's longest running race, which is 5,000 kilometers, uh, 3,100 miles. And we profile some of the more traditional athletic and performance cultures, like the Navajo in, in the United States, the Kalahari Bushmen in Botswana, an esoteric group of Japanese monks who run thousands of miles for inner peace. And what I learned from them and what I learned from my time with Sri Chinmoy is that you know, there's, there are multiple parts of our psyche. And from an Eastern standpoint, we can differentiate two main ones. Um, number one, the mind. Mind obviously is the analytical part of us, the part that interfaces with the physical world. Um, there are emotional centers, but there's something called the spiritual heart. It's the part of our, our body that we point to when we identify ourselves. You know, the physical heart is just to the left of center, but you know, we point right in the center of our chest, which is where in Eastern medicine and Eastern philosophy, we believe the spiritual heart is. And Sri Chinmoy's own philosophy focused on that part of our being. And it's a part of our being where joy exists, peace exists, inner strength exists. And it's an area where there is no such thing as fear. There is no such thing as insecurity. There's just boundless delight and boundless potential. Now, this all sounds so wishy-washy, but... There are a, a number of different ways to kind of develop that part of our being. Our minds are obviously overdeveloped. There's so much visual, auditory stimulus. We, we, we learn to process, we learn science, we learn math, we learn how to really develop the mind from the early age. But when we get to our teenage years, 
we begin to be pushed away from the childlike qualities, not childish, but childlike qualities of joy, of enthusiasm, of, of like boundless energy. And we're told that we need to mature past those stages. But when we look as a, at adults, at that part of our being, and we begin to strengthen it, we realize that those qualities of enthusiasm, of, of eagerness, of love, of, of oneness, of friendship, those are actually things that give us sheer and pure strength to combat the emotional part, the analytical part, the parts that feel insecurity and the parts that feel fear. So you mentioned that there's many ways to develop the spiritual heart. What are some of them? I think the easiest way to develop the spiritual heart is through silence. I mean, we can use the spiritual heart in all aspects of our life, including sports, but by focusing on the heart through meditation, for example, we can really begin to classically build the power. Like, you know, if, if, if you want to build bicep strength, yeah, you can swim, you know, you can surf, you can row, but you're going to possibly build your biceps faster just by concentrating your, you know, your energetic output onto them. Similarly, if we sit down in a silent place and we do something really simple, like there's a very simple breathing exercise, now you can keep your eyes closed. You can imagine that you're just, you know, breathing in in a very slow, relaxed way through your mouth, through your nose. Gradually slow your heartbeat down. Imagine that you're breathing in peace. You're breathing in silence. And after a few minutes of doing that, just visualize that you're not breathing through your mouth and through your nose anymore, but you are breathing through the center of your chest. That you're breathing in through your heart physically. The air is going in through the center of your chest. And that it's not just air, it's peace or it's love or it's joy. By imagining those qualities, you begin to grow those qualities. And the place where you grow those qualities is not in the mind. Like We don't think peace. We feel peace. Imagine it in your heart. You begin to feel it in your heart. And then you learn like, oh, that's where my heart is. That's where these qualities are coming from. And one of the easiest ways is through just breathing in through your heart, breathing in the qualities that you want to invoke from your heart. And you can do that in day-to-day life. You can use that power when you're in the heat of performance, in sport, or in any other aspect of life that tests you. But it's better to kind of build that capacity um, in, a, in a calm, focused manner. That makes complete sense. And from a coaching perspective with myself, working with elite athletes, we work on their skill acquisition and their movement efficiency in really controlled environments and really look at all the refinements. So when they're in those so-called uncontrolled environments, when it's the game and everything's fast and there's crowds and there's all these distractions, they're trained to be able to tap into those abilities in the time of need. So I guess that's where you're like what you were saying, where you can practice this and breathe into this and, and be these, these, energetic conditions of joy and peace and love and and you know bringing that energy in those controlled environments so you can bring that out when you when we're challenged in everyday life and you mentioned there about bringing it into performance and I'd, I'd love to hear you unpack that a little bit more around spirituality and performance because I'm a performance coach and I believe our life is our performance and when we respect it that way we will approach it with more commitment, dedication, alignment, gratitude, drive, all of those elements. 
And when I think of performance, I'm not thinking of just the sport performance. I'm thinking about being our best selves in our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health and all different areas. So how do you believe that enhancing our spiritual health helps us to improve our performance and, and our life performance? Well, I'll, I'll give you an, a performance-related example. Uh, Sweet Chinmoy had a, a term which he used to describe the act of going beyond your own capacities or your own limitations, and he called that self-transcendence. I used to always think of that as a result. Like when you did better, that was self-transcendence. That when you felt better uh, or when you conquered something in life, that was self-transcendence. But I was on a prayer run with a number of uh, Navajo and Hopi youth in southwestern Arizona. And we, we met an elder. And that elder told us as we left for, for our morning run, he said, find joy through exertion. Now, those two ideas seem diametrically opposite. <laughs> my, I, my idea of performance was always result-oriented, where you, you exerted, you exerted, you exerted, and if you reached a certain result, you tried to find joy in it, whether it was expected or unexpected, whether it was victory or whether it was defeat. But the idea of being happy when you're pushing yourself to your limits, that blew my mind, and that changed my attitude towards performance. Now, practically, what does that mean? You know, it's like when you're, and then you know this as an expert coach better than I do, but when one of your athletes is in the active performance, you know, usually the heart's going really, really high. And, and they realize like to focus better, to, to, you know, to push even more, they need to control their breath. They need to, to, to control their mind. They need to focus their mind. They need to slow their heartbeat down. But more importantly, they need to eradicate self-doubt. Mm. They need to eradicate fear. It's not just confidence in yourself, but it's this kind of Spartan idea. Like where we say in India, you have the right to act, but not to the fruits thereof. It's like this, this Hopi elder didn't say, find joy through triumph. He said, find joy or satisfaction through the act of performance. Like, be happy pushing yourself to the limit. Now, there, there's two things there. It's like, you know, you have to be happy when you're in pain. And, and, how, and how do you do that? It's like, you can do that in practice, but when you're doing that in practice, it's like, you can't feel doubt. You can't feel emotions that are going to lower your sense of happiness. If you know how to conquer doubt and fear through your spiritual practice, through silence, you know, if you know how to slow your mind's thoughts down, through meditation or through other forms of contemplative practice, then when you're in the peak heat of performance, you can slow the mind down, you can rid it of fear, and you can allow yourself to try to feel happiness and joy. But that feeling of bliss doesn't exist in a space of fear or self-doubt. I love that. And that state that you were referring to that I worked through with athletes and I worked through it with, with high performers in business and entrepreneurs and, and all areas, but that, that heart rate, like you said, that bringing it back to control is what we call the control aspect is the coherence because we need, it's not relaxation. We need that element of balance, which is the coherence between all of our systems. So we're in control and we're ready to, to explode. We're ready to explode in a, in a sporting sense, or we're ready to 
respond from an intuitive space instead of just being very, very relaxed and not having that energetic responsiveness. So I know exactly what you mean there, but I think it's beautiful to hear you talk about eradicating the fear and doubt through silence, because I think there's a bit of a misconception about meditation these days where people want the results in the moment. And I think that was something that I was challenged with from the beginning when I first started meditating years ago, where I thought, well, I don't feel any different or I couldn't silence the mind. So I wasn't successful. But what I've learned is the connection and I do a lot of just breathing meditation as well. And really just, that's my focus point. And, and that dealing with it in that sense. But I think it's really powerful to hear the relationship of how we can take that into our personal lives. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but you've done many, many years of deep meditative practice. So you're not just speaking from a sense of a filmmaker, but you, you know, you spent years learning from Sri Chinmoy and, and actually practicing these at a very deep level. That, that, that's true. I mean, I, I, I was lucky to have, uh, I, in essence, a, a coach like him, you know, getting one of the, the premier coaches at any level can take you much further than you ever imagined. Um, but, it, you know, to, to, to kind of to, to agree with you in, in what you were saying, we, we tend to look at meditation as therapeutic. But, and this is my new favorite word, um, it's salvific. It's salvic, you know, it's like there's an idea of, I'm not saying this from a Judeo-Christian standpoint, of, of it's, there's, a, there's a salvation aspect to it. There's a transformative aspect to it. There's an aspect of meditation that unfolds over time. I mean, people who might do any type of endurance sport know that, yeah, the first time you want to go out and do a marathon, you might train for four months. But after a few times of just training three or four months for a marathon, you realize, you know, the cycle to get really good at this is maybe longer than four months or six months or nine months. Maybe I have to think of the cycle as five years. And people who start businesses know this very well. It's mm-hmm. like you can't think about profitability in one quarter or two quarters. Sometimes in your projections, you say, I'm not going to be profitable for three years. So if we can bring that type of patience and level of expectation into our approach to inner transformation to our approach for to to outer performance you know all of a sudden we're released from the types of things that give us fear that that take away our satisfaction sri chinmoy used to say as well that like you know peace is 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 without exists in a space without expectation like if you have expectation, you're never going to have peace. Mm-hmm. If you have patience and if you don't have a, a kind of a, a strict attachment to achieving a certain result in a certain way in a certain time, you, you may achieve a result that's far beyond what you ever imagined. Sticking with the, the running theme, and you mentioned there the, the 3100 film, 3100 Run and Become, which is just crazy to think that people can run that distance and and survive really but but actually make it but you mentioned there before about the transcendent transcendence aspects how can you just explain that a little bit of that reason why people would do and you've converted it what's the what's 3100 miles in kilometers 
It's it's four thousand nine hundred ninety-three kilometers. How long does it take people to run that? People are required to do about ninety-eight k a day uh, to finish in the fifty-two day window. Ninety-eight mm. k's a day. Yeah, and get this: it's like outwardly it seems horrific because it takes place in our summer in June, July, August in New York City around a half mile sidewalk loop. But people have run that distance across the country in the US. There's a road that goes from San Francisco to New York, basically. It's about 3,100 miles. And you have to go over three mountain ranges in the US and you have to deal with trucks and cars. And when you, when you need to eat, your support vehicle might be 10K ahead. But when you're on a closed loop, all of the logistics, which are the, the most kind of mind-consuming aspects of the race, are all taken care of. And then you can work on achieving and being in that flow state for as long as you can. I mean, there, there's, there's almost no way to mentally will yourself through a distance like this. <laughs> there's, there's just too much pain. There's too much pounding. There's too much heat, dehydration, etc. You have to find a way to be sincerely happy and for that happiness in this extreme state of discomfort to fuel you. And, th- and that's exactly what that Hopi man said. It's like you have to find joy through exertion. That, that's, the, that's the formula for being able to complete the distance. And, and frankly, it's like if you don't have that aspect dialed, you don't even want to go to the starting line because you, you know, there's just too much fear if you don't have that inner confidence that something within you is going to help give you the energy, the literally the physical energy to reach a kind of Everest-like goal. Is that like how the Kalahari people in the film, you're saying that they believe that running is their in- intuitive connection to Mother Earth? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go woo-woo for a second, but this is like directly from, <laughs> this, is, this is directly from our, our Kalahari Bushman character. You know, that they've been in Botswana for over 125,000 years now. And so they, they, they've got a kind of like claim on, on a certain type of philosophy. And anthropologists will say that, and this is true, that, you know, mankind's and humankind's like advantage on the savanna was the fact that we were bipedal, which meant that like, opposed to quadrupeds who have to breathe and inhale and exhale according to their stride, we could decouple our breathing from our foot placement, which allows us to take a heck of a lot more breaths. So we don't kind of go into an anaerobic state quickly at all. We have a lot of endurance. We have a lot of aerobic capacity that way. I mean, there are other animals like dogs that have even more, but you know, that, that was our one advantage as a primate. Sorry, now, just, to, the, just to pick up on that, were, were you saying that the coupling the breath with the, the foot contact, is that what you mean? Like breathing every time that we have ground contact? Well, so, so like if you can imagine the stride of like a horse, um, all four feet kind of come together or they kind of like compress. And in that motion where the, the feet kind of come together, the lungs are forced to expel air. In the kind of stride extension, um, that's when your, you, your lungs open and take in air. So literally quadrupeds are forced to inhale or exhale Every single mm. time, when they're going, not not when not when they're just 
trotting, but when they're just going, when they're full out exerting themselves. And so in our full out exertion, you know, we could breathe two, three times as many breaths as we took steps. Mm. And so that, that was kind of like the evolutionary advantage that we had, meaning, and we could also carry water. So we could literally carry the water we needed and chase animals away from watering holes. And this is why anthropologists feel that we survived. But the Bushmen have a completely different perspective. They said that what differentiated us from animals was consciousness, that we had a more conscious awareness of the Earth's energies. And when we ran, when we chased animals, we could use the power. They use the word in English, they use the word prayer, but there's a different word in their language. It's more like an invocation that when you ran, your mind would get to a state of calm and you could actively invoke other energies to give you the strength to literally catch an animal and kill it. Mm. And they, they felt that the act of running, like dance in the Aboriginal culture, that the act of running was humanity's first religion. It was where we experienced energies higher than ourselves. And it was both in the earth and it was both in the sky and in the heavens. So it was, it was really something that they looked at, looked at as a gift and as something that we practiced not just for hunting animals and surviving, but they looked at running as a teacher. And speaking of a teacher, this film as a teacher, what can people who aren't runners, what can they take from the film? You know, this, the, the, this is the, the interesting thing for me. Like the film itself was, making the film was a, a huge like adventure, but experience of like, and, and I, I don't want to say an, an informative experience for me, but it's like it, it, it changed my perspective on, on many, many levels. I, I, I do run, but it's like I only run at most an hour or hour and a half a day. But how can I apply the lessons from this film to the rest of my life? Mm. You know, the, the, the one thing that I've been riffing on, you know, for the past few months is trying to bring a sense of, like, like, like the adage I used, um, you've got the right to act, but not to the fruits thereof. That was a, um, a lesson given to India's greatest warrior, Arjuna, on the precipice of battle by his charioteer, who was his teacher. Indians worship the teacher as Krishna. But in this case, Krishna was on the battlefield with Arjuna, exhorting him to fight. And this was an epic battle of literally light versus darkness. But it was Arjuna's family, his, his brothers, fighting their cousins. And Arjuna, from the human side, said, I don't want to fight my cousins. Krishna, in this book that's called the Bhagavad Gita, laid out a philosophy that was superior to morality. And he ended up saying at one point, Arjuna, you know, you can't think of victory or defeat. As human beings, we don't have the right to the results. We only have the right to act. And, you know, it's like you need to use your complete self, throw yourself into the activity. In this case, it was war. But throw yourself into the activity and don't have any attachment to the result. And I, I realize, like, in my life, there's so many things that are out of my control. You know, even 
like I've got my own production business. Um, and I, 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 I want to achieve a certain number of things. I need to achieve a certain amount of income. But at the end of the day, all I can do is rely on myself. All I can do is be happy with my effort. And if things don't work out, you know, I have to take the, the I have to, to take those punches and move on. But I, I tend to beat myself up when I don't achieve the result I've tried to re- achieve, even if it's still a good result. Like how many times have we, have we achieved great things or earned a, a good amount of money, but it hasn't been what we wanted to. Like I, in my case, it's like, if I focus on the process rather than the result, if I focus mm-hmm. on the journey rather than the destination, I tend to feel gratitude a lot more naturally and a lot more spontaneously. I feel more appreciative of not just myself, but people around me. And I tend to realize like how many shoulders I have stood on to get where I am now and how many shoulders I continue to stand on as, as I move forward. And that F word that you said is just perfect. That's focus. And that's what I, I believe is one of the most fundamental skills that every human should practice. And like you said, focusing on, focusing on the act as in that, that saying the right to act, not the right to the results, because focusing on what we need to do and focusing on the processes will ensure an outcome. And, and instead of beating ourselves up, you know, on, on not achieving it, just accepting where it's at. Because even when we do get the results that we want, we should accept that there's still, we should be proud and, and take that, that joy in our step. But we should also accept that, okay, there's other areas, room for improvement in other areas. So what do we need to focus on now? And, and I'm talking about in all elements of our lives. So there's obviously a lot of that that comes through within the film. And as you're talking about the Kalahari bush people and, and the, the other parts around the Japanese philosophies and those gurus, I can imagine all of these philosophies coming through. So it's obviously not just a film about running, but that's kind of like the metaphor basis for everyone to be able to relate to some of these philosophies, I guess. Uh, absolutely. Like I, the film is about performance. It's about flow. It's about understanding, you know, how to put a maximal effort out and achieving things that are beyond your comprehension, um, and and so it's like it's like the the the, the spiritual secrets to progress rather than success. Mm. Love it. And what about then for those of us listening who are runners? And my wife is training for half marathon in July, and I'm doing a oh, short nice. Spartan event in June. Or for those who just enjoy running actually even for those who do not enjoy running but they actually do it because i know there's a lot of those people out there but what are some tips to help keep us in in that present or um i don't know is it important to stay in that meditative state but it's more maybe more that present state that connection to earth that consciousness what are some tips for us runners to to be able to experience that so i'm 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 gonna say give a couple of, of challenges to people that that might not be that easy Number one, and I, I, I used to listen to music, but number one, like disconnect from your headphones. Number two, try to feel that there's an, I mean, just ima- you have to use your imagination at first, but try to imagine that there's an actual energy transfer each time your feet hit the ground. And each time you breathe in, you're not just breathing in air, you're breathing in the entire sky. Our Navajo character in, in 3100 Run and Become 
said that the Navajo feel that when you run, you're praying to Mother Earth with your feet, you are breathing in Father Sky. Mm -hmm. And when you're conscious of your feet on the ground, when you're conscious of your breath, running becomes, you, you, you open up the opportunity for each moment in running to be enjoyable. You know, everybody who runs, even those who hate it, there, there are moments where you go like, this is why I run. My question has always been like, how do I feel that all the time? Like, how do I feel that not just once a week or maybe mm. for a second every run? And our Navajo character unlocked it. It's like, when you run, your feet are praying to Mother Earth. They're tip-tapping on Mother Earth. You're breathing in Father Sky. And if you can be conscious of that first and foremost. Secondly, you know, if you have a particular mantra, if there's a particular saying by a teacher, a writer, a poet, you know, by you, Brett, by any, any, anybody inspiring, you know, people can take that mantra and really get a different level of understanding when they run. I mean, th th this is the thing about running. If, if you run for a better body, running will do that for you. If you're running for like a deeper level of health, running will do that for you. If you're running to heal from trauma, running will do that for you. But the thing that someone challenged me about was, are you running for transformation? I mean, I never knew that you could run for transformation. But as it happens, you can. But it's like you have to focus your intent on that transformation. And that transformation really depends on trying to unlock a sense of joy in each moment. It's hard in the beginning. It really is hard. It's like it's not easy. But it's like if you give yourself a chance to unplug from your Walkman, to really feel your feet, to feel your breath, to feel your connection to the earth, to nature. Mother Earth is under the sidewalk and under the asphalt too. It's like you can feel your connection as an animal uh, to earth when you run. And then it's like if you've got a transformative thought or a transformative, transformative saying and you repeat that, you'll get levels of insight you know, just through the fact that when you run, all of your portals are open, like your mind's open, your heart's open, your emotions are open. And you'll begin to see that the act of running isn't just for health, but you can actually use running to become a better person. You said now that you're only running one, one and a half hours a day when you run, but you've experienced some of the multi-day events. How, how was that experience for you? Were you able to experience that transformation? I, would say I had a crazy experience and a beautiful experience doing multi-days. I, mean, I, I kind of liken it to fasting where, you know, it's like if you fast for like a couple of days, now we know that the, the body enters into a different metabolic state, ketosis, and you're able to pull energy in a way that, you know, your mouth and your stomach being empty don't believe you ever could. I've actually found in my own experience with multi-days and seeing the 3,100-mile runners that after a couple of days of running, I, mean, I know it sounds crazy, but after a couple of days of running, the mind gets into a state where it just loosens up. I mean, I've, I've seen with traditional running cultures like Native Americans where people can enter into that state with a, of a loose mind pretty quickly. But I found in multi-days that my mind loosened up and I just had this spontaneous flow of like beautiful, positive emotion that lasted for days. Now, I, I've, I've meditated for, for two and a half decades or more now. 
And I've had some beautiful meditations and some great experiences. But in that multi-day, it's like that meditative side, that really positive heartfelt side just unlocked. And that experience lasted for a very long time, like more than a day. Um, and it was a pretty astounding thing for me to realize that I could unlock those same meditative feelings um, through running. I'd never thought that was possible, even though I'd heard it a million times. I'd never thought that anyone could do that. Phenomenal. I can tell you now, though, I won't be running for multi-day events. It's not on my to-do list, but I will be taking those philosophies into to my shorter runs. I was a 100-meter sprinter and 200-meter sprinter, so you know, 7 to 10 Ks is like a, a multi-day marathon for me. <laughs> but maybe I've yeah. just been going at it in the wrong way. But see, this is a question for you because it's like that idea of finding joy through exertion. Mm. There's, there's maybe just one other race besides a 200 where you're at maximal exertion. You know, one might argue that, you know, the 400 meters or 400 mm. meter hurdles, you're maybe a notch level, a notch above the exertion in the 200. But like, imagine number one, like you said, that the, the, the F word, number, number, imagine like, how much focus you need to have in the 200 to be able to like unlock joy <laughs> and like how confident you have to be in yourself, you know, and, and doubt free and fear free to like run such a short race and actually maybe feel a sense of satisfaction as you're pushing. Mm. I mean, I, I don't, I don't sprint, but from what I've seen with the Hopi Indians, like that is possible and that that is like not only possible but it's kind of like the goal which mm -hmm. is, it seems totally totally outlandish to me <laughs> now i i like the idea too where you talked about focusing focusing on your feet and putting the attention there because that's actually a, a coaching philosophy that i use with everybody and and one of my great mentors puts it in the way of saying be where your feet are and the idea of that is that if you're focusing on your feet, whether you are in a meeting and you're nervous, whether it's relationship wise, whether it's the fear and doubt creeping in, in any element of your life, what we're actually doing is taking the focus away from our head because like you've spoken about a lot, that that's where the fear and the doubt and everything is consuming us from. So when we can take that focus away. So I really like that analogy as well that comes out and, and it makes complete sense that that can keep us in the moment and present with the longer runs. Uh, I love that too. And, you know, it, it, it's amazing how much of performance philosophy has its roots in traditional or indigenous cultures. Mm. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing, since you mentioned you're, you're doing uh, a Spartan race, the, the founder of Spartan, Joe DeSena, grew up in Queens, not too far away from where I live, although he's, he's a few years older than me. His, his mom practiced a lot of yoga and she was really into nutrition and stuff. And as, as, a, as a, maybe a, a 25 year old, she took Joe to actually see the 3,100 mile race. Mm. Now, Joe told me like, he didn't, he didn't, you know, like model Spartan off the 3,100, but when he had the idea and people were telling him that it was impossible, like that, like those feats, so those types of races would be impossible for, for an individual to finish, he thought like, no way, like people run 3,100 miles. <laughs> and he actually is, is an executive producer of 3,100 Run and Become. Okay. You know, it's like a lot of the philosophies in the movie, you know, have re and the cultures in the movie 
have really informed uh, the way he's built the kind of Spartan philosophy. Brilliant. I love it. And speaking of films, we'll shift gears a little bit before we finish up, but I believe you're also creating a new film at the moment called Gather, which will probably be close to being released by the time this podcast is released. What's that one all about? You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's oddly applicable to Australia. Um, it's, it's a film based in the United States that looks at the effects of colonization on Native peoples and Native peoples' food systems. You know, we, we, America, Australia, you know, we both have the same, you know, British parent. Um, and when, uh, when the Brits came over to the U.S., and to some degree the Spaniards, you know, they, they tried to make the new world into Europe. And, you know, they, they brought their cows, they, they brought their European grains, and they kind of ignored the fact that there was a vibrant food system that existed in America for tens of thousands of years. But number two, when they realized they couldn't necessarily, in, in our case, they couldn't necessarily best the Native Americans with, uh, with, with sheer military might, they began to destroy food systems. They began to destroy crops to kill all the big buffalo that once roamed the United States. That said, like now we're in kind of like a food crisis, a, sta- a sustainability crisis, where the, the food system is beginning to move back to themes of what local means, community means, um, you know, like n- non-capitalist food system that, that feeds everybody equally and well. And the more it moves in that direction, the more it moves into the system that existed in North America pre-colonization. The interesting thing is that more than 70% of the global diet is based on foods that have actually come from indigenous North America. Like my own country, India, we didn't have potato curries. We didn't have tomato sauces. We didn't even actually have chili peppers till the Brits brought them from the New World. There's no such thing as the Irish potato, Swiss chocolate. Even African cassava was brought by the Portuguese and the British to Africa post-discovery of the New World. And so, so much of the food system relies on these indigenous ingredients that our film Gather is letting people know the kind of richness of those food systems. And thankfully in the U.S., there are some Native Americans that have kept those traditions alive. And hopefully... Hopefully, they'll, uh, you know, that those traditions will spread more in a conscious way into the American food system and kind of like save us from the destruction that we've kind of caused ourselves. That sounds very interesting. I challenge you to come to Australia and create a film with the Australian uh, Indigenous culture as well. I would love to see it done across the board. You, you know, uh, tangentially, you're a marathon legend. Uh, Rob DiCastella mm. is is working on something called the Indigenous Marathon Foundation. Yeah, and he's looked at Aboriginal culture, which has incredible similarities to Native North American tribes. Um, in that there weren't horses, like Native Americans didn't have horses till the the Spaniards brought them over, and it was a, they were cultures that required people to run very long distances if they wanted to to, to to trade or to pass messages. And there's, a, there's a similarities with Aboriginal culture in drawing energy from the earth, you know, finding berries, finding seeds, knowing where the, the watering holes were, where the springs were, and having an intuitive sense 
of how to move quickly and efficiently and rapidly through kind of a, a, the spiritual dimensions of running. Interesting. You just made me think too. I've been wanting to talk to Rob on the, the podcast for a while. So I've got another avenue there to, to connect with him, connect with him about on the, on the show. So that'd be great. That's so when, when can we expect gather to come out? When do you think that will be released? Am I putting the pressure on here? (laughs) Gather that the film business is slow. So we're just finishing it up now, but gather will probably, probably be released later in 2020, but 3100 run and become is going to open in Canberra, I believe on March 17th. And then we'll be in Sydney, uh, Perth, a little bit of a few other places in West Oz. Um, and then Melbourne and Sydney and all, all of the information uh, will, is, will be posted on our Instagram site. Brilliant. And what is the Instagram site? Where can people learn more about this and, and follow your journey? Uh, the Instagram is at 3100film or facebook.com uh, slash 3100film. And I'm at Mr. Sanjay R on Instagram. Excellent. And how can I and the listeners help you on your journey, Sanjay? Well, I would, lo- I would love to, to see folks at the theatrical screenings we're doing. I'm going to be out there for all of them. There's actually an Aussie 3,100-mile uh, finisher named Grahak Cunningham who's finished the race a few times. And get this, like his, the longest race that he'd ever done before the 3,100 was a marathon. Hmm. He, it's like on his first day, like after four hours or so, yeah. 3,100, he'd run further than he'd ever run in his life. <laughs> so he and was blocking the 98 Ks per day. Yeah, but that's why I love Australia because it's like he didn't care. He was just <laughs> like, good on you. Let me just go out there and try this. And uh, his second time around, he ended up setting the, he, the third fastest time ever. And, and that time still stands. And he, he's a little guy too. Wow. Like you wouldn't think that he was like some epic runner, um, little guy, a surfer in West Oz, uh, and just kind of like a rambunctious little dude. I love it. The Aussie spirit. <laughs> totally. So Sanjay, to, to finish up with the last couple of questions, what's three key take-homes that you want to leave with the listeners today from your life experiences and your beliefs? You know, with, with, with all humility, knowing that like what you have to offer is infinitely more powerful for people. Um, number one, you know, try to find your heart, get to know your heart, build the strength of your heart. Number two, try to build that heart into your day-to-day life. You know, find ways and techniques to bring it into your performance. Um, number three, you know, if you're a runner try to disconnect from, from your thoughts, try to disconnect from your, your playlist and try to feel that running can be a spiritual and transformative activity. I, I found that through the people that I've met in making this film and that philosophy and, and their influences definitely changed my life. Love it. Absolutely love it. Before we finish up, is there anything else that you would like to ask me? Yeah. So like when I, when I, when I, when I'm thinking of 2020 goals, um, like I'm thinking of physical performance goals. I'm thinking of like, like work goals. How should I think about like mental health or spiritual goals? Like what's, what's the framework to do that without putting too much pressure on myself? 
I would have thought that you would have more of a sense for the spiritual, but let me talk about the mental and emotional from a perspective of, there's lots of different ways to look at it, but I think that I'll give you an example of my emotional goals for this year is to step more into empathy. So when we come from a place of empathy, we're less reactive, there's more responsiveness. I think that's the sort of the pinnacle of emotional intelligence. When I think of mental goals, I'm thinking around the sense of obviously challenging our minds, but also, and because you, you mentioned mental health, and when I think of mental health, I think of mental wellness, not mental illness. And along those lines, I think about how am I nourishing my mental health? So how am I challenging my mind to grow? How am I nourishing it from a nutritional perspective in regards to gut health and the gut-brain connection, which I do a lot of work on, and then really narrowing in on those elements. So I guess for you, in regards to that is understanding what areas you might be challenged by a little bit and it could be from a personal perspective it could be from a work related or a physical perspective you can still bring the mental into that and then just narrowing down from understanding well what is it that i actually need to work on a little bit more oh i love it i mean i especially love the goal of bringing empathy into my life i mean that yeah. that's something concrete i love it i mean i mean i mean, I mean concrete in the sense that like I'm, I'm usually beholden to my reactions um, and sometimes they're empathetic, sometimes they're not. <laughs> I think if I if I think if I if I think about it more in the times when I'm not reacting and don't need to use it, I'll be in a better position when I, I need to pull that out. Exactly. And that's the human experience, right? Where we we want to be like that more often. And that's why I'm stepping into it a little bit more because my gorgeous wife and we've got an adorable nine month old son now and Oh, I congratulations. That, yeah, thank you very much. It's beautiful. But, and my wife and I have such a great connected and open discussion relationship and generally communication is quite clear, but I find that when I'm reactive either internally or even just outwardly, which is very, you know, it's a little reaction, um, it still disappoints me. And then when I reflect on it later, I realize, well, that's because I was coming from an inner place of what my expectations were expecting her to read my mind as opposed from a place of empathy. I love it. <laughs> so it's just going back to that. Sanjay, you're a legend. Your commitment and dedication to your craft is enhancing the human experience and inspiring us all to tap into our best selves and truly treat our life like our performance. Keep shining your abundant light to the world, my man. You are far too kind, Brett. I had such a great time on this conversation and I, I look forward to, uh, to more and to meeting you in person one of these days. Absolutely. We'll have to, I'll put all the details up for people to be able to watch all the films, but also to know where the releases are in Australia and hopefully we do cross paths. Fantastic. Thank you. B-E-A-utiful. I trust this chat has inspired you to want to tap into your spiritual heart and challenge yourself beyond comprehension. Remember, find your heart Build your heart more into your life and your performance. And if you're a runner, disconnect from the outside world and reconnect to your inner world to get the true experience that running has to offer. I'll certainly be doing that this afternoon on my longer run as I train for a bit of a Spartan race coming up soon. 
Make sure you check out all Sanjay's films and if you're able to get to any of the premieres in Australia, I highly encourage it. 3100film.com and you can also follow it at 3100film on Instagram and Facebook. Sanjay also has his own Instagram that you can follow him on at Sanjay Rawal, which I've also linked in the show notes of this one. And the other film that we talked about was called Challenging Impossibility. So you can find that on Vimeo and I've linked that in the show notes to this episode as well. Also, if you are ready to challenge yourself to grow this year, reach out and learn more about tailored performance coaching for you. Yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash coaching or brett at lifeintentional.com.au. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.